Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, welcome to Parenting the Adlerian Way. I'm your host, Adlerian family counselor and parenting expert, Allison Schaefer. Each week, I answer your burning parenting questions to help reduce the stress of parenting one tip at a time. We'll explore Adlerian psychology together and learn methods of child guidance for raising a happy, confident, capable, resilient child. Welcome back to the podcast, and I'm excited to bring you another guest interview, and today we have Erica M. Erica M. is an entrepreneur, thought leader, and creator. Originally a much music television host, Erica is known for her pioneering work in content marketing and social media. She's founder of the digital agency, M & Co, and the niche publishing brand, YMC.ca, both focused on the desirable mommy market. Under Erica's leadership over 14 years, her companies have earned her over a dozen prestigious awards. Her collaborations with health researchers earned her a Governor General's Innovation Award nomination. She wrote a new musical series for kids called Out of the Books, and it's launching on YouTube. And her new podcast, Reinvention of the VJ, features personal interviews with the stars of Much Music, peppered with inspiration for reinvention. Erica has built a multimedia portfolio, including credits as an author, journalist, playwright, award-winning songwriter, and sought-after speaker. Her remarkable ability to reinvent, influence, create, and lead is what drives Erica. So welcome to the show, Erica. Oh my God, that is the most annoying bio. And it doesn't <laughs> even say that I'm a mom of two, yeah, which right? is really the most important thing about this conversation. There's there's the credentialing right there. Yeah, yeah. From the trenches of having been there. How old are your kids now? Uh, my daughter is... Uh, almost 17 and my son is 20. And I can speak to the fact that um, it doesn't get easier, but we do tend to survive. Yeah. And, and to that end, you've done a lot of work to help some other mothers. And I want to get into the communities that you've built, but I'm always curious about people's journey. And you've had quite a journey and it started, you know, with your childhood. And so you have a, uh, all, come from a family of impressive women. Maybe you could speak to a little bit about, you, you know, the parenting that you received and how that might've poised you for the life that you led that has been uh, quite the journey. You know, it's funny, I didn't realize how I was being raised until 
I guess maybe 10 years ago, maybe 20 years ago when I had my kids, when I realized that in fact, I was an unusual person <laughs> because I just assumed that the way I was raised was the way all kids are raised. And it turns out that my parents did something quite unique with me and my sister. And I think it's probably because they're quite unique and they passed on this uh, belief in me that I can do anything. And not that I was super talented, but just that it was okay to pursue and do what it is that I love to do. And I think that a lot of parents perhaps stop their kids from doing what it is that drives them uh, in the hopes that they would be more sort of successful in a traditional sense. And I was just not a normal kid. And my parents, they, they didn't stop me. They let me do crazy things. So when I was, you know, 16 years old, I was working at the at a radio station. I was, I was organizing marches. I was hanging out with musicians and working in record stores. And, and by the time I was 17, I was working as a DJ in clubs, like punk clubs, as, as you know, playing the music. And I was out till three o'clock in the morning. My parents never stopped me. You know, now as I raise teenagers, uh, I understand how brave they were to let me go and do what turned me on. And it worked out well because I leveraged all that experience that I had from the time I was, you know, 16 years old to turn it into not just a career, but uh, a series of experiences that fed me and feed me as a strong woman who's not afraid to take risks in life. So I'm hoping that I can infuse that in my kids. My sister always speaks about how my mom always said to us, and I don't remember this, but my sister speaks a lot about it. And my mom would always say, why not you? And uh, it's true, I do think that. But more what I remember from my mom is that she told me at a very young age, well, do you want me to tell you a little story? I love the stories. Tell the stories. Get into the nitty gritty. Yeah. I came home from school. I was really hungry. And I told my mom that she could order pizza. And for those who are from Montreal, they'll know that Pendelli's Pizzeria was the place to order pizza. We're talking like 50 years ago here, Allison. It's a scary thing. <laughs> oh, listen, I'm of the same generation. Like, I, I'm, yeah, I'm relating to all of this. Of course. So my mom said, actually, yes, we can have pizza, but you're going to order the pizza. And I was like, yeah, mom, I'm nine. That's not happening. And I stormed upstairs and we had a bit of a standoff. And ultimately, when I came downstairs at around seven o'clock starving, and I said, okay, mom, you know, stop fooling around, order the goddamn pizza. I don't think I use that language. Uh, she said, actually, no, if you don't order the pizza, we're not having supper. And uh, well, I lost and I had to order the pizza and, you know, hi, my name's Erica, I just want to order pizza with extra cheese, you know, that kind of crazy thing. And then they said, okay, you know, 30 minutes or it's free and they hung up. And my mom said, you see, you, you don't have to be afraid to ask for what you want. In fact, that's how you'll get anything you need in life is you need to be brave and ask for what you want. And Allison, I can pinpoint, we don't have time right now, but I can pinpoint every success in my life has been because I ask for what I need and what I want. And that's something that I've been really trying to uh, teach my kids from a very young age. I think that's that's how you become a successful human being. Yeah. So yeah, and I love that you add the word human being to the end of that, and and that you started it with that we have this conventional idea of what success looks like, and parents mm -hmm. get really nervous when some kids' passion, especially in the arts, 
uh, pulls them in a direction. And, you know, we're like, oh, you know, don't forget your day job. And that's okay if you have music as a hobby, but like, don't make that your career. And we really squelch a lot of people who don't want to follow that common trajectory. And that's a lot of parental fear that, that gets in the way. And, you know, here you were ready to go and your parents were like, and you can, and the world's your oyster. And to have that unwavering belief in you, it's amazing. Yeah. My, I get goosebumps as you repeat that back to me, because I, I was, my sister and I both are very lucky to have been raised by my mom who, who died last year. Yeah. And, but it's okay because I now I'm doing it with my daughter. Yeah. But although she doesn't always <laughs> like it, you know, I, I was, I think I was a bitch to my mom. My daughter is returning the favor now to me in, you know, tenfold. Well, isn't there something about how you do appreciate your parents more when you grow up and you're in their predicament and you realize, wow, that was courageous. And how did you deal with me? And oh my gosh, I am so sorry. I did not give you an easy time. Uh, and all those things, that gratitude for our parents grows so much when we are actually in the trenches and in the position that they were in. Allison, when my son was, I think, three days old, I called up my mom bawling and apologized for everything at that time. It's funny, just having that child in my arms, I hadn't even experienced motherhood, really. And yet I knew at that moment, the pain and the fear that parents have, like on an ongoing basis, I catastrophize all the time with my son, who is charming, kind, hardworking, interesting, etc. I have these flashes of him being a heroin addict. That's <laughs> insane. There's zero reason for me to think that. And sometimes I just, I go, oh my God, he's not, he's not up yet. He's not awake yet. I wonder if he OD'd. I honestly, I have these crazy ideas. And I think it's because when they get older, you have zero control, zero. You can think you have control but you have none because if you tell them that they can't do something, if they really want to do it, they will find a way. And then they'll realize, aha, there's nothing you can do anyway. So I had to learn how to parent teens very differently than how I parented my kids as young children who to some degree had less power. Right. And, and I think that's, if we're willing to go on the journey into adolescence and to say, oh, the old stuff I can't continue doing, or I got, or, and not even that it's wrong or bad or anything, but like literally the techniques and the strategies and the approach with young, our youth pre-teens, it starts way earlier than parents think. I, I actually think in my own practice, it's probably the biggest adjustment where they kind of thought they weren't going to have to deal with this till 16. And so when it's something with their 13-year-old, they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. I, <laughs> you're, you're not on my flight path. This is happening too early. But adolescence happens early and we do have to change our approaches. And you can either fight and rail against that or you can say, um, nope. I got to accommodate the situation. And you, and to me, you were like the queen of figuring out how to be agile and tact when the direction, when you need to do it. And so, so tell me about how the yummy mummy club and, and how that was that tied into your life journey. The timing is too, too close that it can't be coincidental. Well, it is not coincidental at all, but it certainly wasn't planned. I mean, when I worked at Much Music for 13 years, I did it because I was obsessed with the music business. And all I wanted to do was be a part of that creative industry. And so I was. I was focused like a laser. And I went where I never thought I would actually end up. Well, there was no such thing as Much Music when I was younger. But ultimately, I was in the exact place that I was supposed to be. And then when I had kids, I was dying. I literally was dying. I mean, I was that mother who was postpartum. I didn't have a lot of friends who had kids. I was terrified. I was for sure postpartum. 
And I read the books. I was told all about it, but I still felt like a piece of shit. And I remember the day when my son was jaundiced. He was crying all the time. My boobs were hanging out. They were killing. And he wasn't thriving. And I was in a mom's group. And I was ashamed because all the other moms were nursing their babies and mine was fussing. And my boobs, I got big boobs. They didn't work or I couldn't work them properly. The shame that I felt, the humiliation, I cannot begin to tell. Yeah, it was probably, I would classify it as somewhat traumatic. I remember having to call a public health nurse who came to my house and looked at my son and I saw the alarm on her face and she ran down the street to a pharmacy and she came back with tins of formula and said, give this to your son right now you need to get on formula. And I wouldn't go back to my mom's group because I was so ashamed. Oh. And uh, yeah, it was terrible. And then um, the woman who ran the mom's group called me a couple of weeks later and said, Erica, where are you? And I said, I'm not nursing anymore. And she said, you need to come back. No one cares if you're nursing or not. You just take care of your baby. So for me, the transition to motherhood was really hard. And I noticed that everybody was asking about my son, how's Josh? And nobody was asking how I was doing and I wasn't doing well. And it confused me because I was the one responsible for Josh's well-being. If I was falling apart, what would happen to him? With that sort of train of thought, I decided to change careers. I mean, I had left much music uh, about five years earlier, so I was not no longer involved in the music business, but I tend to follow my passion. My passion at this point was to understand this parenting thing so that I could not only survive, but thrive and my son to thrive. And so I, I answered an ad to be a writer for a magazine, and I can't remember what it's called now, but it may come to me. It was like Kids in Canada or something like the Help, We've Got Kids. No, that's that's not the one. <laughs> that's not mine. Um, it will come to me anyway. And uh, they hired me to be a writer. And so I started to interview experts about parenting. So I had sort of a front row into people like you to ask them questions that I really wanted to know. At the same time, I became known for doing all these interviews, and I started writing an, a series of articles for City Post magazine in Toronto, again, from a mother's point of view. And I was asked to, to, I think, speak or host a conference for parents. It was a woman named Penny Shore. And Penny was much older than me. And we, I remember getting into a philosophical discussion with her about parenting. And she said, I'm going to give you one piece of advice. She said, a parent's job is to help their children make the right choices when you're not around. I was like, whoa. She goes, that's right. Punishment doesn't work because if you're not around, you can't punish them. Yeah, you're going to steal the cookie from the cookie jar. No one sees me. That's right. So that in, has influenced my entire approach to parenting. The other, the other thing that I did, well, I'm not even going to go into that yet, but what, what I did, uh, so that was one of the sort of side benefits of being a writer in the mom space was you, you get to meet really interesting people who are sort of parenting experts. And right around that time, I was, while that idea was brewing about why is nobody paying attention to moms, I got pregnant again with my daughter, Jessie, and I pitched the idea of a TV series called Yummy Mummy to a production company. And the concept of that show was uh, to celebrate and commiserate the roller coaster of that modern moms um, are dealing with. So there was no show. It wasn't a parenting show. There was no show for us, for moms, about what the experience of motherhood was like. So it was bought. 
by a production company and I ended up hosting the show, writing the show, um, co-producing it. And it was bought by Life Network at the time and D Discovery Health US. And you can still see it. It's still around. Oh, yeah. On, on Amazon Prime, 99 cents if you want to download an episode. <laughs> we'll check it out again. <laughs> and that show ran, uh, we had two seasons of that show. It was pretty cool. And at the end of the two seasons, the show was canceled. And I was like, I'm not done. I am just starting to build a community of like-minded women, of mothers, women with children, as opposed to mothers. And I started my little tiny website. I called it Yummy Mummy Club. The, web, the show was Yummy Mummy. So I made it a club because I feel like once they put a baby in your arms, you're part of the club. And I just started writing stories and meeting people and asking people to write for me and basically writing stories about issues that were of interest to me. I figured like I'm like every mom. And then when social media happened, Twitter specifically, that exploded my business and my community where I met women from all across the country and really there was no looking back. And it, I grew it into one of the largest online communities for moms in Canada. And what's neat about it, it has only been run by moms for moms from our homes. So when COVID hit, we laughed because we've already been working from home <laughs> all this time. Uh, but it, it really, it's a feminist um, magazine or platform, if you will, because I always sort of espouse the idea that guilt and shame should not be part of our sort of lexicon. It is um, not helpful for anybody. That well, your, your first experience with the breastfeeding, you absolutely. you lived that. You, I'm sure yes. that that formed part of your the kind of culture that you wanted to create on your platform. If the first mommy group that you were in, you felt you couldn't come forward with what had happened around the breastfeeding. You know what, though? They never said anything to me. It was in my head. Uh. There was there was no expectation put on me, but we all read the books and we all vowed to you know have the perfect birth and to nurse you know the perfect breastfeeding mom and you know do the best for our kids. And that is really a bunch of bullshit because sometimes your body or your baby doesn't cooperate and the guilt and shame that women feel, and I'm not saying meant to feel, but feel is paralyzing and really sad. And so my website was hopefully an antidote to women to say, you're good enough. You're trying your best. You're not perfect. No one's perfect. And we'll all get through this together. And it was, it's been really, aside from having my kids, the proudest thing I've ever done. And at the same time, have made incredible friendships, yourself included, with women who are supportive of other women. And so in, in your community and as you're, you know, in, in creating this safe space for, for women to, to connect, we, we do do things differently. And there are trends in parenting and people have opinions about parenting. So have you ever had to worry about having haters or dealing with the polarization that we hear so much about going on in the world that we're, we're becoming more divisive? Um, I would say the answer would be, no, I was not worried. Did I experience it? hundred percent. Because if you don't have a point of view, if you believe in, if, if you stand up for, what is it? If you believe in nothing, if you stand for nothing, you What's the, I don't remember what the saying yeah, is. Yeah, I, yeah. you got uh, to stand for something or you stand for nothing. Yeah. Exactly. So we do stand for something, which is freedom of choice, you know, very sort of feminist ideals. And we also ask questions and we show different people's points of view. So we would sometimes write an article about breastfeeding and it would anger people. That's okay. The way that the website was set up is that you can leave a gazillion comments if you want but they can't be horrible or we'll delete them. Yeah, that's the same. That's my policy too. And I agree with you in that, you know, one of the things that we've talked about um, in recent days about, again, going to sort of 
how the world is going in the south of the border is that if we're going to get into dialogue about different opinions, you know, we have to be able to, to listen to the other person's side that otherwise we're too much uh, living in silos and that's not healthy. No. Um, but so having respectful dialogue and disagreement is one thing. Being a hater, you know, is completely different. The, the motivation is different there. Uh, yeah. And I think that that is more of a, a new um, issue that ha- that people who live online have to deal with. My website, uh, we took our comments off probably four years ago because they weren't being used well. And in fact, it wasn't because the comments were negative, but rather the conversation moved away from our platform to Facebook because we would post a story from the YMC website onto the YMC Facebook page and the conversations happened there. And so we wanted to keep that going because we liked that sort of threading of conversations, et cetera. Uh, And I would say that if you define your community and say, we don't stand for negative, when I say negative, it's not like disagreements, but horrible language and putting people down, mostly people don't come. And so I would say that we have been really um, not lucky, but we have been, we have earned a, uh, a great community of positivity. And, you know, you're familiar with uh, the new platform that I launched not long ago for parents of teens. And again, this is a private Facebook group. What I love is people post questions and they'll get like 50 different answers at times. They're all, no one's really an expert. Sometimes there are people who have sort of experience in, in what they're talking, but there, it's a lot of advice driven things and no one puts anybody down. Everybody just shares their point of view and it's fascinating and helpful and positive. Well, you know, one of my um, uh, learnings over the years uh, from my teaching is that, you know, I see clients in my office one-on-one but they are still just listening to the expert or whatever. We're working individually as a family. But when I teach in a group, and I often start by going around the room and asking, like, what do you want to take away? Or what's your burning issue? Or something like that. A lot of the parents will say to me after, just hearing that other parents have the same issues that I do, that I am not alone, is the most healing, supportive thing that me as an expert, it doesn't matter, you know, the education that's up in my head. People need the connection, the normalizing, the feeling of support that comes from other people. You cannot replicate that with expertise. That's really the caring. And again, if you get 15 different opinions about like, well, here's how I handled it with my 15 year old. And I did that when I was 16. And what it doesn't, it's still so rich in terms of how we support each other and and heal. And that's outside the realm of an expert. But I think that there's two parts to that. I think you're right to some degree that an expert can't provide that, but we also can't provide the solutions, the evidence-based solutions that you can provide. And that is the, the great combination of having, when people, when parents are having challenges, to go to an someone like yourself, and I, I can say that from experience because I have gone to you and you say things that are kind of magical. And I'll, I'm going to give an example in a few minutes, but to go to those other groups, and I have been in therapy with my daughter or for my daughter, and it was a parent group, and you're right. When everybody goes around the room and talks about the challenges that they have, or on the Facebook page, when a mom says, okay, my daughter just did this, am I, am I you know, crazy, or is this wrong? And everybody goes, oh my God, I'm dealing with the same thing. You're right. It validates and it makes you understand that this is kind of normal, but it doesn't really give you evidence-based tools or solutions to deal with it. And so I feel like on that platform, I would like to have some people like yourself or other people to also provide actual useful evidence-based 
uh, feedback as well, because it's not like all the the parents who are are weighing in are not right. They are right because their feelings are right, and how they're feeling about it is true. But it doesn't always solve or give them useful tools to cope with it and change the problem. Well, same, the same that we say, you know, if 16-year-olds only ask other 16-year-olds for advice, <laughs> they're not necessarily going to get the best advice that we want to make sure that they've got access to the kids' help phone. We want to make sure that they have access to the coaches and the teachers and oh. the parents who can bring a different perspective, uh, you know, not again, we all know that our teens need their their peer support and that they need their uh, peer belonging and sense of community, but left on their own, isolated on their own without that would be a problem. And uh, and so, yes, let's let's be grateful and thankful. In fact, that, that in the last 100 years, we have learned more about parenting. We've learned more about children development and we do have research to support the, the ideas behind what we're suggesting that we never would have had in previous years. And we we are parenting better than ever before in history, as much as we're struggling with new challenges. You know, I mean, they didn't have TikTok in the Middle Ages. I have a problem, though, uh, and I'll vent to you here. Do. So when my daughter started to have mental health challenges on her 13th birthday, she started crying and basically didn't stop until this year. And she's almost 17. And what I'm saying, I'm sure a lot of parents can relate to right now with the depression and anxiety being rampant among teenagers. One of the biggest challenges that I had was not finding help for my daughter, but finding help for me, Allison. There's a disconnect in the world of therapy for teenagers that someone needs to solve because I could send my daughter to therapy every day, but if I am not privy to those conversations and or the solutions that these therapists are recommending to my daughter, then how am I, who am the main caregiver, going to ensure that she follows those suggestions or that I have the right language to use or strategies to use when she doesn't do what these therapists are recommending. And I, I almost had a nervous breakdown at one point because my daughter was in that sort of suicidal state of mind, perhaps maybe less so than others who are more severe. I don't know, it doesn't matter. It was bad. And I was the you know, parent who had to go with her to the hospital a few times when she asked me to take me to the hospital. And I did because you're not gonna mess around. And they'd look at her at the hospital and they'd say, you know, there's nothing that we can really do. And they're right because there was nothing. She, it wasn't like she was out of her mind. You know, once they start talking to her, she's a lovely sane girl who's just struggling. But no one, was saying to me, there is a group of parents, there is a group of therapists who speak to parents. Because if we're not involved in this, nothing is gonna happen. And I have proof because I told you, Allison, and I'll share it with everybody else, that last year, last September, so after my daughter has been going to therapy and having really a terrible time for the last two years. We found a place, do you want me to mention the name? Is it? Yeah, sure, absolutely, yeah. It's a place called Broadview Psychology. Um, They work with um, people, so teens, but also adults with emotional dysregulation. And their, uh, their treatment is DBT therapy. And it's, you probably know the term, but is it comprehensive DBT therapy or it's, where dialect so for people it's dialectic it's it's a line linehan was the inventor of that and and yes it's sort of got the cognitive component to it but it's specifically around your emotions and um uh, it's very good with teens because a lot of emotional dysregulation happens in adolescent years and um uh and it's to your point it's evidence-based research-based 
proven to be effective, especially for those kind of adolescent angst type issues. And what was fantastic is not only did she meet with a therapist once a week, but she was put in group therapy once a week. So she was going twice a week. And the group therapy was not sort of what we uh, visualize as, you know, all the kids venting about, you know, what their challenges are. The kids, in fact, are not allowed to talk about what their sort of racket is. It's more like a class where they learn about emotional dysregulation and they learn how to cope in a bunch of different situations as a group. And there's a third piece to it, which is the parent group. So every two weeks, all the parents have to get together for a two hour session. We sit around a table and we all talk about what, first of all, we also are coached. So we're given lessons on emotional dysregulation. And I think we had to do 26 different meetings. We have to, we have to go for, a year, every two weeks. And um, we, again, we talk about our challenges at home and we apply them to the lessons. And the therapists there give us language and tools to cope with the kids who are learning the same thing in their classes. And I'm happy to say that after a year and two months, my daughter is no longer clinically depressed. She's like a different kid. And it is 100%, no, that's not true. It's not 100%. I would say it's probably 75% due to DBT and the other 25 is her brain is growing up. And so she's naturally learning skills, et cetera. But it is incredible. And I'm so grateful to have found a place that included my husband and I in the process of, of communicating and parenting our daughter doing things that are at times seem counterintuitive, but they say, trust us, this is what you have to do. And we did it and they were right. Proofs in the pudding. You know, in the Adlerian uh, model, when we emphasize family counseling, it's because again, we, we differentiate ourselves in that we don't just see the identified patient as the, the problem in the family. We look at the whole family system and we want to help the whole family system. And it sounds like you got that full holistic systems approach and yeah, when all the moving parts are doing something differently, that's when we get our, our best successes. We can't, and it goes back to our conversation about the power of the community, that we have to see ourselves as embedded in groups and we need to be embedded in our mommy communities. We're embedded in our family. Our kids are embedded in their schools, albeit in weird, you know, hybrid online weird things. It's, it's still their place. And, and we have to look at everything from a systems point of view. So, you know, when there's a bullying incident at a school, there's a school culture. It's, it's, you have to look at all levels, not just the one bad seed, but the whole environment that creates and allows it. So isn't it great that you found a place that could pull back the lens wide enough to include parents? And we don't, and you're right, we don't do it well enough. I think it's also important for parents to not be ashamed when their children aren't thriving and to be comfortable asking for help. And I think that many people are embarrassed because their kids are not doing as well as their neighbor you know, down the road or their friend's kids. And, and is I, there really any difference between asking for help when your kid is jaundiced and you can't get your boobs to work and you need to go to formula and the public, you call the public health nurse versus the 14 year old who's not thriving and you know, whatever is developing an eating disorder. I mean, it's the same thing. We're allowed to ask for help all the way through the whole spectrum. Well, do you remember when I called you? Ooh, well, when Jesse was first going right down and crying all the time. And my husband and I called you and you, we did a, a phone session with you, even though you're my girlfriend, we did a session. I said, this is a, a professional call. And we told you her, about her behavior. And you said something that was so fascinating. You said to us, it sounds like she has a secret. We were like, what? And you said, yeah, it sounds like she has a secret. And I remember when we found out she did have a secret that was eating her up. It was terrible. 
And one of the boys in her school was sending her suicide notes. Could you imagine? She was 12 <sighs> or 13. No wonder she was having such a terrible time. But it was because we came to you and we, we explained the situation. And because you, are, you have an expertise and you understand human behavior and you know the sort of flags, what to look for, and then it was our job to figure out what that was and be there when that was discovered. I'll tell you, it wasn't pretty when we found out what it was. But once we were able to get through that, which was a several months of intensity, um, we solved the problem and we, were, we became closer with my daughter for a little while. <laughs> beginning, of the, beginning of the journey. <laughs> I laugh now, but it wasn't funny then, I'll tell you. Yeah, but you know, it's, it's, uh, I think it's important that the parents that have been through the, the trials and tribulations share the stories, um, uh, you know, and, and uh, the same in my family. And I've talked to, to my kids about their mental health issues that they both struggled with. And, uh, and I've said, you know, can I, can I share this? And my kids have both said, if it helps other families, absolutely. And both my kids had their struggles too. And same thing, they're, they're fine on the other out, the other end of that now. And, and both have great skills, you know, to go into adult life. Sometimes I think it's one of those things where, you know, I don't know, you guys got it out of the way early. <laughs> you know, it's good. We, we are all, we look at the mental health statistics and how many people now with COVID that are locked at home are starting to realize, uh-oh, I don't necessarily have all the tools that I need because maybe I sailed through adolescence and I didn't have those kind of issues, but now here I am and I'm finding the cracks in the foundation that I didn't get some of that skills training around myself. You, you know, you do learn a tremendous amount in, in therapy. It's, 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 um, it's literally, very powerful. Literally, my daughter has to use her skills. That's what her therapist says. When she is sort of dysregulated. So when she's freaking out about something, she's allowed to call her therapist or text. And the, the first thing the therapist will say, are you using your skills? And there are a list of like 10 things that they can use, like listening to music, putting their, their face in really cold water, um, putting ice cubes on their wrists. Like there's a, I don't know all of them because I'm, I'm not the, the teen, but there are, are a list of these activities or whatever you want to call them that are evidence-based ways of calming the emotions. They force these kids or reinforce this with the kids so that it becomes habit. And those are skills that she will have for the rest of her life, hopefully. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So, so now tell me that what's the difference between where yummy mummy club is now and your new media ventures though? Cause you're, you're, that's been up and running and it's got its hustle going and it, it, it look kind of looks, I mean, I know you do hard work, but it kind of looks after itself. It's a mature, it's a mature community now, but you're never one to sit and rest. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I, I try and tap into what makes me come alive what makes me feel good? And I need that. That's my drug of choice is that sort of jolt of inspiration is what keeps me well, especially now in this very challenging time. And I know what it is. I like to collaborate and I like to create. It kind of doesn't matter what it is that I'm collaborating or creating but it's that combination makes me feel very alive. I work really hard. I love it. I immerse myself in projects and communities and building experiences or building my podcast, for example, so projects. And it's what keeps me alive. It's not necessarily uh, helping to pay the bills, but, but it certainly um, keeps me sort of, I don't know, it keeps me learning and questioning. And as my skills expand, I become more valuable as uh, in so many ways for my career. So it kind of feeds me. 
Yeah. And so, and so I, I did take a peek at the out of the books. I'm so excited and I can't believe you pulled that together during COVID. Can you tell, tell the world about that? And I, you know, cause I saw the trailer and I saw how fantastic the graphics are. I'm like so excited for this, but for people that are just listening that don't know what I'm talking about, can you, can you give us a little bit of, on that? Out of the blue, this guy reached out to me from LA. He's a, a well-known composer and songwriter based in LA. He also has done all the, the jingles for Barbie for years. And he came up with a concept of, call them story songs, the idea of taking fairy tales and telling a fairy tale in a pop song. So in like a three or four minute song, there's a whole story of Cinderella or Beauty and the Beast. And the songs are great. They're, it's the kind of music that parents would like as much as kids. So what he was looking for is a collaborator, hello, a collaborator who can write a show. He wanted sort of like, a, it's called a jukebox musical where all the songs are already written and to write a show that would find a story and characters and a premise and a reason to use all the songs that he wrote. And so he called me up out of the blue and I was like, sure, I could do it. And I did. We collaborated on FaceTime and we wrote, I think a really charming show is an hour long show. And we were about to uh, premiere in, at the Edinburgh Fringe Fest in Scotland and then COVID hit. And uh. That was, not good. And rather than give up this beautiful piece of work that we had co-created, we decided instead to turn it into a YouTube series and shoot it all on Zoom and using iPhones and green screens, etc. You mean that the trailer that I watched is done through that technique? Yeah. You would, people listening, you would never, never know. This looks like the most high-end production. That blows my mind. Yeah, wow. Was, wow. So the cast is from the UK and from the US. A couple of the stars from um, Hamilton are in the show because obviously all theater has stopped. So they were free and we uh, rehearsed fair amount. And then they each did their part separately on Zoom and then it was all edited together. And so now it's just being released and I'm pretty proud of it. It's got some really cute lessons in there. So it's a, it's a little bit earnest, uh, but again, it's sort of, it's hidden. The, uh, the lessons are kind of hidden. Like there's a fairy who is the blue fairy and the other fairies always made fun of her because she's the wrong shade of blue. You know, those kinds of playful little nods to what's going on in, with kids today. And there's another character who is a trolf so he's a, a part elf and part troll. And so he's mixed race. And um, so what it's like to be sort of stuck in the middle, those kinds of, you know, modern day issues that hopefully kids can relate to. And, and that's how kids learn. You know, I mean, the, 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 the power of story and storytelling, I've learned that from my play therapy training. And, uh, and I very fortunately was my grandparents on one side, my grandmother was a children's librarian. And I have, you know, when, when we do like early recollections and things that shaped and form you, I remember the impact of my storybooks on some really key takeaways, like the same as, you know, Evelyn to you with you're like calling the pizza place and saying, you can always do it. Well, I might've got that from some courageous mouse in a storybook or whatever, you know, but those really, really impacted me. And, um, and you're now between the song, which is the earworm that kids remember and it stays with them and the graphics and the fact that it's on the platform where they all learn anyways. So, you know, they're all sitting there on YouTube. I, I think you've got a winning combination. I'm so excited to see how the rest of that, that, that goes, my goodness. Yeah. It's pretty charming. And, and it's exciting when, you have an idea and then you see it come to life. That's what turns me on. 
So if you're going to give advice to a mom, because a lot of people got into the, the mompreneur world, this is part of what social media allowed, um, and to become influencers and bloggers is a whole, a whole other world for moms to actually turn motherhood into something that has a business edge to it. Do you have any advice for someone starting out? Well, I guess we could all listen to my mom and don't be afraid to ask. And, I, and I'm not being facetious. I'm, I'm 100% serious is that the only people who succeed are the people who are um, comfortable reaching out, asking for uh, help, ideas, asking for clients, for example. Like when I started YMC back in the day, honestly, Allison, I had no money. It was, I built this website, but there was no, there was no business model for it at the time. Remember, I did this 14 years ago before there was all these, we forget. Problems, before there was social media. And so I came up with ways to connect brands with moms. And I would have to call people up. I would find brands, names of people. I had no idea what I was a TV host for God's sake, right? I would find these people through marketing people and I would call them up, cold call them. Hi, America M. And I, you know, I have a great opportunity to connect you with moms. And they'd say, hey, are you Erica M from Much Music? And I'd say, yeah, I used to work at Much Music. And they said, oh, well, what are you doing now? I would tell them about YMC. So I had a, a, a great in. And then I would tell them about the opportunity. And they go, that's really great. But no, I'm not interested. And that happened for probably six months. Could you imagine people turning me down? The humiliation, again, humiliation. I was freaking famous. And people were turning me down because they, they didn't understand Do what it knew. is that I was. Such an innovator. Yeah, they're, they're yeah. low risk takers at that time. And then one day, one person said yes. Do you know who it was? Oh, who said yes first? Samantha Kemp Jackson. Hey! She was working at a company. Now, she knows I tell the story all the time, but it's, it's an important story. After about six months of me pitching different brands, she was working at an, an agency at the time. And she was like, you know what? I think that my client Fuji would like this. This is over a decade ago now. And she bought the whole program. And so we were able to get all the metrics and show the engagement and how it all worked. And because of her, we were able to then show that to other clients. And then they started to buy into it. And my business started. The reason why I'm telling this story is that I want to show other parents or mothers or entrepreneurs, men as well, that it's really hard to start a business that you may have the vision in your head of why you think your product is so good, but that there is a huge leap from the idea in your head to actually making sales. It, you have to be so dogged and persistent and have such self-belief. And you have to look at it as a marathon um, where you'll make one sale and then it may be weeks before you make another sale. And then slowly, you know, you will pick up speed if the product is good. And if you keep your ears open and understand, listen to people who say no and to try and understand their point of view, because they may, your customers are going to tell you what's good and what's not good about your product. And you have to evolve and be um, agile, grow and work harder than you've ever worked for anybody else, which yeah. is, which is not, which is what a lot of people don't necessarily understand when they think that they're going to get out of the rat race and they're going to, you know, you know, start working for themselves. I, I can see you and I are talking on zoom right now and I can see the big smile on your face because you're also an entrepreneur and we both know how hard we both work. And it looks sort of effortless on the outside. And, you know, we look good in social media, et cetera. But behind the scenes, it's a freaking grind. And it's scary because you never know when your next sale is going to come or if it'll come. So uh, I'm only saying this to people because you have to manage your expectations and be prepared to really put in work with little financial return for uh, 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 quite a while. 
It's funny how people do think like, you know, oh, how did you do that? Like overnight success. And they forget all the accumulation of not just the years and the hours of work, but also to your point, going to the collaboration in the community, how many uh, relationships that have given and experiences that all in one small way or another contribute to what, you know, allows something to come to fruition, right? Well, Alison, what's, what's so sort of beautiful about our conversation today is that I've known you for, I don't, at least a decade. Yeah. Yeah. And there is, there and is, I knew you back when you were like the VJ, just so you know, I was the <laughs> one back combing my hair so that I could look like Madonna and watching you. <laughs> but there is something really special and important about women supporting women and not backstabbing and helping out whenever possible and being a safe space. Uh, we've been like that for each other for many, many years. And, uh, I also know many other women who haven't played by those rules. And um, I think they've paid the price because they're sort of self-serving. So, you know, if I were to add to that advice is be generous and never screw anybody ever. Even if you think it'll put you ahead, it will never, ever work in your favor ever. And there ties us right back to the beginning conversation and maybe a good place for us to close, which is the power of relationship and community in every aspect of life, even in business. And I'm sure in, you know, dealings, you know, with brands that want to meet moms or whatever, you're still maintaining a relationship. You're still looking, serving your community. Uh, All of those things um, sustain us business, personally, in, in every single way. That's sort of like the big filter to see everything through. And so hopefully by having this podcast and connecting with parents and, and prov- bringing them information in a time of COVID when most of us are walking around with headsets and, and being isolated, uh, that they've enjoyed um, joining our conversation. I can't thank you enough for not only your wisdom, but being so open and authentic and sharing your personal journeys, because I think people really do appreciate knowing that the struggles, nobody is exempt. Nobody is exempt from, from right. the struggles. And uh, so I really appreciate your sharing and your honesty. Well, I think it's important actually that to be, you know, in this bullshit Instagram world where everybody looks airbrushed, that we need to be really straight about our lives. And, you know, it's not, it's not a coincidence that my website, our subtitle is Motherhood Unfiltered. Because I do believe it's really important that we all are authentic. And there's, again, I go back to this idea of shame. There is no shame in being imperfect. In fact, that's what makes us all beautiful and unique are the our imperfections. And it's what allows us to connect deeply with each other is by sharing our vulnerabilities and asking for help and I'm so proud that my website and me personally uh, have been able to help women all these years because I really do believe it. And so I, obviously people are going to be so curious to, to jump on your page and uh, to listen to the new podcast and go check out the YouTube. And I just want our listeners to know I'm going to put the links to everything that we talked about. They'll be in the show notes so they can click through. But because you do something new and creative all the time, is there any any other adventure that, that I have missed asking about or that needs to go in those show notes that you want to let me know about right now? Yeah, I think that's it for now. Those are the, those are the big ones. We'll give you three more weeks and then you'll have another business. <laughs> Anybody wants to collaborate, call me now. <laughs> yeah, there you go. 1-800-COLLABORATE with Erica. There, your phone's going to start ringing. Oh, so awesome. Well, best to you and the whole family and uh, take great care and thank you for the time today. Thanks, Allison. As you know, it takes a village to make a podcast. So thanks to my team, including Max Cotter, my editor and technician, as well as the crew at H2O Digital. This podcast was recorded in Toronto, Canada. We acknowledge the land we are meeting on is the traditional territory of many nations, including the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabek, 
the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat people, and is now home to many diverse First Nations, Inuit and Métis. We also acknowledge that Toronto is covered by Treaty 13 with the Mississaugas of the Credit. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.